Welcome to What is Truth? The radio show devoted to asking the question, what is truth? Now your hosts, doctor and pastor of Grace and Truth Church in Amherst, Michael Caesar and co-host Johnny D. Want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Do like Jesus said, search the scriptures and you'll know what is truth. Amen. Welcome to another edition of the What is Truth radio show. Dr. Michael Caesar here in studio with my partners in truth, John D. Giuseppe, Johnny D. Good to have you, brother. No, it's good to be here. And Mark Sassy. And good morning. Uh, we have been uh, studying and preparing a good chapter for you today in the New Testament. We've been studying in the Acts of the Apostles right after the Gospels come the Acts of the Apostles. And uh, God recorded for us what happened after Jesus finished his great ministry ascended into heaven in the first chapter of Acts and handed the baton to his apostles and how they began to spread the good word of the gospel of Jesus Christ, beginning in Jerusalem, moving north into Syria, moving west into Asia, and now we're into the region of Europe, and Paul the apostle is moving around, and he's coming back from Europe to revisit Jerusalem, and at the end of the 20th chapter, he kneels down with the disciples there in Asia Minor as he just left Europe, and uh, he prayed with them all, and they wept sore and they fell on Paul's neck and they kissed him sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake that they should see his face no more because Paul knew God had a further mission for him and he wasn't going to return to them in Asia Minor. God was going to bring him to Rome and so we're going to learn in the next few chapters how God directs him. We're in Acts chapter 21. Uh, Join with us Uh, if you've got some time grab your Bible And if you like your friends to hear the program and you want to even restudy some of the old shows and catch up with us, go to the website, uh, Grace and Truth Church. Got to spell out the long word grace, A-N-D, Truth Church. You have to put that there, graceandtruthchurch.org. Up will come the homepage. Click the sermons tab. Up will come YouTube. Click YouTube and you can Look at and listen to the old What is Truth programs. But today we're in Acts chapter 21, and we're going to begin right now. And Mark, take us away, brother. Amen. So Acts is a great book. And in the last chapter, we saw that Paul wanted to go. He desired to go to Jerusalem yes. for Pentecost. And we find that in the last chapter, chapter 20, verse 16. Yes. That verse says that if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. One of the great feasts. Amen. Paul grew up Jewish. Yes. He's a Jew. And and he wants to celebrate with his brethren. And he also wants to bring some good news to his brethren. Amen. Amen. And you see that in the book of Romans that he really cares for the Jewish people. Amen. Yes. yes. Nine, 10, and 11 chapters. <laughs> and then in verse 22 of the last chapter, he says, And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. And here we see in the next chapter, chapter 21, here's his journey heading towards Jerusalem. Yeah. So the first, like, say, seven verses, the Bible says, Uh, Acts 20, and it came to pass that after we were gotten from them and had launched, we came with a straight course unto Coos, and the day following unto Rhodes, and from thence unto Patera. Rhodes, that's the place where you become a Rhodes scholar. That's that little (laughs) island there. There That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, all these places in the Bible are true. This is true historical, true uh, mapping 
you don't find this in other spiritual books. Like say, let's say the Book of Mormon. Yeah. You can name off places in the Book of Mormon and they're not Nobody real. can find them. Yeah. Can't find them. They're made up. All these are real. Sure. Rhodes, uh, the Colossus of Rhodes was one of the wonders of the world back yes. then. It was right. a well-developed area. Yes. You know, and I also often wondered sometimes in the Bible, like these first three or four verses you're going to do, Mark, um, they, you know, they're sailing the roads and they go to Patera and, and then Phoenicia and stuff. And it's like, we could really condense this when I was a young Christian. We could really condense this. We don't. They're not saying anything about it. Why yeah. are you telling us this? Just get to the point. Yeah. Dumb young Christian. This is what makes the Bible real. This is this actually happened. This is historical. And you go to Chronicles and you and you go to the gene, genealogy of all those individuals and you say, what am I in a courthouse here? I mean, you know, in, in, the, yeah. in the basement of a courthouse. Why do why do we have all that? This is what makes it real. The the, the great thing about the Bible is if you do open it up and begin to read it, you find it is a historical narrative of truth. It's basically a history book written by God. Now, in the course of the history, he's going to tell about mankind, but he's also going to reveal himself and his interaction with men through the course of history that had a heart to want to know him. And he's saying, I did this in history. I'll do this today. If you have a heart to want to know me, I'll reveal myself to you today. And you can read this history book and uh, geologists and anthropologists and, and, uh, and various uh, archaeologists have studied these areas and they found uh, various artifacts that confirm Luke is a great historian. And that's why he's mentioning all these areas. And they can't find any faults. No, no false. Yeah, you know, right. So, and again, when you're when you when you're going back and forth with a professor or an atheist and whatnot, I mean, it's really difficult to to talk to somebody, a scholar, if you will, a, a, a secular scholar, when they haven't read, they haven't they haven't read the book. Right. right. They've read all the other books and they're quoting all those books here, but the book that they want to really slam and bury, they've never read. Well, this is God's book, and Amen. God's book is true. And one of the biggest proofs. Uh, as far as history that I've found is the city of Nineveh. I'm trying to remember if it's in modern day Iraq. I think it's modern day Iraq or Turkey. I can't remember which, but either way, they didn't know where it was. They found it from the Bible and then they discovered it. And when you take pictures of it from up above, you can see where the walls of the city of Nineveh Amen. used to be. Yeah, and Nineveh. when they started digging yeah. there, there, there it was. Yeah, it was okay. the capital of Assyria back in the time when the Bible was written. And Assyria is just a little bit to the east of Babylon. Babylon is modern Iraq. Yeah. So that would put it in the region of uh, Iran. Yes. Yeah, yeah, a modern Iran. day Iran. And, that's, and they so, found that's, it there. That's an sure. interesting study. I haven't done that yeah. for a while, but that's a real interesting study. When you yeah. go to all these old places, Amen. where are they today? Amen. And so here we are, verse 2, Acts mm-hmm. 21, and it says, And finding a ship sailing over unto Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. Okay. Now, when we had discovered Cyprus, that's an island in the Mediterranean. Now, when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand, and we sailed into Syria and landed at Tyre. That's one of the major cities in the north of Phoenicia, which was known for having a large harbor and a lot of ships. And it had been known for the shipping industry and they had great mariners. You can read in the Old Testament about the mariners that came from Tyre and they would sail across the Mediterranean Sea as far as Spain, England. And so, yeah, this this is makes perfect sense in terms of history. Yes. Amen. Amen. And for there, the ship was to unlaid her burden. So they were going to get rid of their goods there. And verse four, and finding disciples, 
We tarried there seven days, so they stayed in Tyre, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. So here's a warning. We'll stop there just for a second. The disciples are warning Paul. They spent a week there, and they're saying that through the Spirit, with, with a capital S, through the Holy Spirit, that he should not go up to Jerusalem. But Paul desired to go, and he's going to press on. We're going to see that he's pressing on. So verse 5, And when we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way. And they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. Just like at the end of the last chapter, they were saying goodbye, and they kneeled down, and they prayed. It was a nice practice to do that. Uh, they were friends. They were brethren. Verse 6, And when we had taken our leave one of another, we took ship, and they returned home again. And when we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. So here he's staying one day. And verse 8, and the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. So here's Philip the evangelist. This has got to be the same Philip from earlier in the book of Acts, Acts chapter Six, 8. it would be. Six. I believe, Acts chapter 6, when they were having some trouble in the early days and there was a little bit of murmuring because the church was growing in Jerusalem and more Gentiles were joining the church. And what are we going to do? And the apostles said, look, it, we can't leave the word of God and serve tables. You need to find seven men of honest report, Amen. men full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom. You can appoint them over the business. And these are like the first deacons in the church, and these are the seven deacons. And in verse five, let's see, they found a man, Stephen. And then after that, Philip. There you and go. And the others are Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, and the others, yes. Amen. I was thinking of Acts chapter eight, where Philip, in verse 30, he runs up to uh, that the is Ethiopian the same eunuch. Philip. Yeah. He's Philip the evangelist. What happened is, um, chapter, we were in chapter six, if you remember. What happened later on in chapter eight is when there was great persecution at the church in Jerusalem. And when the persecution began, the apostles said to the men, you can now go and take the gospel forth. We'll stay here and we'll face the trouble that the civic authorities are going to bring against us. But you can go forth. And Philip was one of the first evangelists, a deacon that was sent out as an evangelist. Amen. Yes. Amen. That's a great story. And so here they're actually coming to his house. And so they entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. It's interesting how this all ties together. You know, mm -hmm. the Bible ties itself all together. Yes. And verse 9, and the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. Yes. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. Now, this is interesting what Agabus does. Verse, verse 11, and when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle, and he bound his own hands and feet. And he said, thus saith the Holy Ghost... So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place, we besought him, meaning Paul, we besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Verse 13, then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. 
So he's persisting. He desires to go to Jerusalem. He wants to go there for Pentecost, and he's not going to let go. Yeah, and I think like you were mentioning in the uh, next book of Romans, after the Acts of the Apostles, Paul writes the greatest doctrinal epistle in the New Testament. And anyone that truly wants to be a Christian that knows God um, needs to look at the book of Romans because in here, Paul lays out the doctrine of Christ. And the Apostle John told us, if any man have not this doctrine, he hath not God. Amen. So there are a lot of religious people today practicing religions. And let's get rid of all the non-Christian religions. I was at a Bible study this week earlier with some quote unquote Christians who did not have the doctrine of Christ, but they had the doctrine of their Christian church. Mm. And Paul wants to write the book of Romans to explain without the doctrine of Christ, knowing the full, perfect, total, complete work of Christ as the Redeemer. If you put any confidence in your own work or your church or your baptism, you will not have the grace of God. Paul writes this book, but in this book, Paul says in Romans chapter 9, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God, uh, this chapter 10, uh, for Israel, is that they might be saved. Um, He said in the ninth chapter, I say the truth in Christ. Uh, My conscience is not lying. You can bear witness of me in the Holy Ghost. I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart because for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, the Jews, the Israelites, Paul recognized He had been there. He was a Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He had been at the temple in Jerusalem. He was one of the ones that fought against the gospel. And then he he saw the truth of the gospel in the ninth chapter of Acts. And now he knew God reached me. I want to reach my brethren. And so I want to go to Jerusalem. Even if it means dying there, Jesus died at Jerusalem for his brethren. I'm willing to do this also. He has a great zeal and compassion in his heart. That's what's happening. Amen. And anybody who is interested in finding out the truth and going to the book of Romans, the companion book is Galatians. Perfect. Romans, Galatians together really explains how God is, uh, it's his righteousness. Sure. Not ours. Yes. Yeah. And so he's he's pressing on to Jerusalem, and they realize that he's pressing on. Verse 15 of Acts 21, it says, And after those days, we took up our carriages and went up to Jerusalem. So now we're traveling by land. Up yes. until now, we've been doing by ship. But at this point from Caesarea, you really can't sail to Jerusalem. you got to take land. So there you go. And right. so they're, they're carrying their goods. Yep. And I find this interesting because I circled carriages in my Bible. It's in what they call an archaic word. Now, people warn against the King James Bible and they say, oh, it's got all these old archaic words. We're 21 chapters into the book of Acts. And this is the first time I've really addressed an archaic word anywhere <laughs> yes. in here. There are not that many, really. Mm-hmm. And for people to know, just so you know, in the King James Bible, the these and the thous, anytime you see or hear the thee and the thou, it's speaking individually. Sure. And anything with a ye is like a fork, a ye, the y, and it's more than to one. To a group, a plural. To a group. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So simple as that. And it's important to differentiate between the two. Well, in the 1800s, they had horse and buggies and carriages. As a matter of fact, if you look at the first three letters of carriage, that's where we got the word car from. 
There you go. We now had something right. with uh, four wheels, and, and instead of a horse pulling it, it had something with horsepower under the hood. Yeah. And we just uh, cut the back off and made it a car. It's not all that far away from, like, you You, you were in the airport not too long ago, John, right? right? right. People have bags. It's baggage. Yeah. People have luggage. They lug it around, right? Yeah. That's modern. <laughs> my um, my daughter came with, with my granddaughter, and she, they call it a stroller now. I still call it a carriage. Uh, I told her, I said, let's put the carriage in the car. And she looked at me, she didn't know what, you know, I said, no, we called, they called it a carriage. Yeah. Not all that long ago, <laughs> no. right? There you go. So in verse 17, it says, and when we were come to Jerusalem, so they arrived, the brethren received us gladly. And the day following, Paul went in with us unto James and all the elders were present. I just want to stop there. Now, this James is not the James from Acts chapter 12. In the beginning of Acts chapter 12, Herod killed James, the brother of John. One of the this, 12 apostles. One mm-hmm. of the 12 apostles. This is a different James. This is the James of Acts 15. Yeah. The, the James that was the head of the church yes. in Jerusalem. When they had the great a conference that was held in the 15th chapter of Acts, because certain men had been running around saying, well, it's good to get born again, but... Now that you're born again, you have to be circumcised and add some of the laws of Moses. And and we determined to go to Jerusalem and get all the apostles and elders together. And as they were speaking, everybody said what they had to say. And in verse 13 of Acts 15, and they held their peace. And then James answered, and he was the one presiding Amen. over the church in Jerusalem. Yes. And so here we see him. Now, in Acts chapter yes. 21, and this is the elders of the church. And by the way, this is the half-brother of Jesus. Right. Yes. This is the same James that writes the epistle in the back of the Bible, the general epistle of James. Amen. Yes. Amen. Verse 19. Half-brother, excuse me, half-brother yeah. being, being Mary's, Mary's yes, son. Mary, after Mary had Jesus by the Holy Ghost, she and Joseph came together, and they had a mm-hmm. number of uh, number male... Two children and, and female children and James is one of them yes I'm trying to remember where do you remember where in Matthew or Mark it might be the 13th or 12th chapter I'll find it. it real quickly they're waiting outside it's talking about that um, it's Mary chapter had, 13 of Matthew uh, and uh, it came to pass when Jesus was teaching parables one day that uh, as he was teaching in the synagogue uh Somebody said his mother is there with the brethren. And then they said, is this not the carpenter's son? His mother is called Mary. His brethren are James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters are here also. So, yes, Jesus came from a big family. He was the firstborn. Yeah. Were you in Mark 13? I was in uh, Matthew. Matthew Matthew 13? Yeah. Oh, here it is. Verse 55. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Amen. So there we go. So there's a little history on who this is and who's leading the church in yes. Jerusalem. And let me see. We left off 17, 18, 18, 19, yeah. verse 19. And when he had saluted them, yep. he declared particularly what things, this is speaking of Paul, Paul declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. Yes. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And they said unto him, thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe. And they are all zealous of the law. Yes. Yeah. And then there comes up this question, verse 21, kind of. It says, uh, and they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews, which are among the Gentiles, to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. 
So verse 22, he asks, what is it therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come. And he, he, he continues on. He's not just asking a question. He says in verse 23, do therefore this, that we say to thee, and he starts talking about how he's got these men prepared for a Nazarite vow. But what's going on is people are talking about whether or not uh, a Jew that believes, like we see here in verse 20, here's Jews that believe and they're zealous of the law. Yes. Well, the law was given to Israel in the Old Testament. Correct. And it's given by God. Yes. And so God's going to reinstate that in the future, later on after Jesus comes back the second time. But like you were talking about with the book of Romans, you can't confuse the law both Romans and Galatians, you can't confuse the law that the law is for salvation. It can't bring salvation. Correct. So I'll say it this way. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he says, think not that I am come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. Yes. And so Jesus is the only one who ever lived a perfect life and fulfilled the law. Yes. Yeah. But these believing Jews here now, they're, they want to still participate in the feasts and some of the customs of the law. Yes. And there's not really any problem with that. If they want to celebrate Passover, if they want to celebrate Pentecost and tabernacles, things like that. It's, it's absolutely fine because the issue to God, uh, many times in the Old Testament, they would liken either an individual to a tree or a nation to a tree. So let's see, how do I get a tree? Well, I need a seed. And I I plant this seed and the seed goes down and the roots take hold of the water underground. And then up is the trunk and the branches and the fruit. And what God is saying is the seed of faith is the word of God. And that plants you deep into the water of God. And that's the roots of your salvation is God's word and trust in God. Now, once I have planted your roots, I'm going to grow you up and I'm going to let you bear fruit. And the law, keeping the law is part of the fruit of salvation. It's not the roots of salvation. And so these Jews are beginning to work this out. Now, we know from the Bible, and listeners, I don't know how much, but God has a plan And his plan is one day to send his son back to make his son the king in Jerusalem and to reestablish the nation of Jerusalem. And back when we were in the 15th chapter of Acts, if you were with us a long time ago, James, when he finally did speak in verse uh, 13, and he said, men and brethren, hearken to me in Acts uh, chapter 15, 13. He said, we understand that right now, verse 14, God is visiting the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name, that be for the name of Jesus Christ. We Gentiles, most of us listening at the radio now, we're Gentiles and we're called Christians. Yes. Verse 15, and to this agrees all the words of the prophets, as it is written, after this, after the Christians and the church is established, I, Jesus Christ, will return and I will build again the tabernacle of David, which is torn down. I'm going to rebuild the temple in the millennium when I sit on the throne. And when I rebuild the temple, 
We're going to practice with the believers the very feasts that my God established in the books of the law, because my God isn't trying to destroy the law of Moses. My God wants it to the point where I planted you into salvation. I'm going to bear the fruit of all of you being law abiding citizens. Just now, this is Jesus speaking. I'm going to pretend I'm Jesus. Just as I, Jesus was, I kept my father's law. I'm going to teach you how to keep it when I come back. And these Jews here are kind of jumping the gun and they're trying it you know, around 60 AD, 55 AD, they're, they're getting the salvation in Christ and they're saying, hey, let's practice for the millennium now. And that's what they're doing. And they're excited. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, and, and even the elders here in Jerusalem led by James, they're, they, they want, they, they, I think they desire Paul to show himself friendly to the law. Absolutely. Because Paul's ministry very difficultly was going all the way back to when Jesus called him in the ninth chapter. So if we go back to the ninth chapter and when Jesus called him, he said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And Jesus says, who art thou Lord? He said, I am Jesus. And then Saul or Paul says, well, what will you have me do? Arise and go to the city and I will tell you what you're going to do. And, and later on in verse 15, he tells a man, was to go to Paul with the message. And the Lord said, you go to him, you go to Paul. And uh, why? For he is a chosen vessel unto me. He's going to bear my name before the Gentiles. Paul is going to be the apostle of the Gentiles, Amen. as he tells us in the book of Galatians. Yes. And Peter is the apostle to the Jews. And so Paul's ministry wasn't to go to the Gentiles and say, hey, let's practice the feasts and keep the law of Moses. He wanted them to focus on the most important thing, get the seed of faith and plant your roots deep down in salvation. One day, God will show you how to keep the law in the millennium. But right now, let's focus on the main thing for you. You people aren't Jews, you're Gentiles. Amen. So it, this is called rightly dividing the word of truth and knowing the difference between God's program for the Jews and God's program for we Gentiles who are part of the New Testament church. Amen. So, well, I think there's been talk for a while yes. of Jews in Jerusalem within the last 20, 30 years that want to build a temple again. Yes. And this is not the only place back in Acts 15, you mentioned that uh, Jesus said, I will return and I will build. Yes. Right? And then he repeats and he says, I will build again the ruins thereof and I will set it up. Correct. Jesus himself is going to set up this new temple, but there's somebody else coming before yes. who's going to talk about men building a temple and that's the Antichrist. Yeah, the, the, the trouble that the Jews are facing today is they are attempting to bear the fruit of salvation without ever having the roots. And therefore, this is not a tree planted by God. The same thing for the Gent, the Jew today is like Paul would write in Romans, which is why we said you need to read Romans. Amen. Amen. Paul says, I'm ready to preach the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. You gotta plant your roots down in salvation and they're trying to do the, get the fruit of salvation without the roots. These Jews here that Paul are running into are correct, at least a lot of them are, 
<laughs> you're going to find there are many that aren't. And another problem that the Jews had, there was always a mixed multitude. By the way, and that's another problem the church has. There's a mixed multitude. Yeah. You go into a church today, you'll find people that are born again, yes. whose roots are down in the word of God and the new birth. You'll find people who are doing Christian things who don't have the roots. And so it's a problem God's always faced. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It is, it is two people. And, and I often wondered if, if the Jews accepted Christ at his first coming, if, if they did. Yes. And we know that God's, these are just things that, you know, when you read your Bible and all, and you get to a certain point, you think of things outside it and, and discuss it with the Lord. What okay. if, you know, what if they did accept it? So how would, how would, we all know the, the Jews were a nation of people that God was grooming to go out and give the, the way of God, right? Correct. To be a priest to the people. So if they accepted Christ, if, if that worked, Yes. You know, I mean, you're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of tradition that, that the Jews were based on. Yes. The Levitical law and, and whatnot in their history. And you got to go out, you got to go out to these, like the 144,000 in the millennium. They got to go out and get people saved. Yes. I don't think they could, they're going to start talking about circumcision and the Levit Levitic Levitical diet. They're going to be talking about salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. So on that point, I've had somebody ask me, well, what's a true Jew? And I, and I said, well, what's a true Christian? It's kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. And the answer is right in Romans. Sure. At the end of the second chapter of Romans, there's two verses here. It says, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. Amen. And circumcision is that of the heart. Yes. Amen. And in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Amen. And then he says also, uh, you were just on chapter nine earlier of, of Romans in yes. verse four. He says, who were Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption, whether you're a real Jew being, uh, being a child of God, yes. trusting in God, or if you're in the church adopted. And then he says and mentions the covenants and the service of God and the promises. It's the promise that you find is you're, you're trusting in the promise of God of uh, everlasting life, right. the Messiah. The Messiah. And yeah. that's why Jesus said, you're not a Jew, which is one outwardly, Nicodemus. You must be born again. It must be an inward work. Uh, oh, boy, oh, boy. We've really got, I lost track of the time. We're going to have to take a station break. We'll be right back. Stick around. What is truth? What is truth? Want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Do like Jesus said, search the scriptures and you'll know what is truth. Amen. And welcome back to the uh, second half of our program. We got a we ran a little over. We're in Acts chapter 21 and we're observing what's happening to the Apostle Paul as he's coming back to Jerusalem. His heart's desire is to reach out to those people. The Apostle James, who's never left Jerusalem, is telling Paul, Paul, I've got good news. There are thousands of Jews here which believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're also zealous of keeping the Mosaic law as part of their fruit. And they're working at the temple. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go with some of these men that have a vow. 
verse 24, take these men, purify them yourself with these men, just like they are according to the Mosaic law, be it charges with them. If they shave their heads, you can do this. We want, I don't want people to think that you're saying the law of Moses needs to be destroyed. Paul, you understand that what God gave to Moses is important. I just want to try and tell you, God's desire is for you to be his child by adoption and the new birth. Amen. But once he adopts you by the new birth, he wants to make you part of the great nation that his son came out of, that's Israel. We are grafted in to the nation Israel. And Israel, when Jesus Christ comes back in the millennium, is going to keep the law of Moses. He's not going to abandon or destroy it. Those are good laws. The law is good, Paul writes in Romans. The law is pure. It is holy. It is spiritual. And so these men are trying to keep it. And um, he's just saying, I don't want them to get the wrong opinion of you. So verse 26, Paul takes these men, and the next day he purifies himself, and he enters into the temple to accomplish the days of purification. He brings an offering for every one of them, and they were going to do this for a seven-day period because often those feasts, whether it was tabernacles, Passover, and here they've extended Pentecost for seven days, fine. When they were almost ended, then Jews, which were of Asia, not of Jerusalem, they saw him in the temple and they got all excited and they stirred up the people and they laid hands on him and they started to cry out and they said, men of Israel, help. This is the man that's teaching people everywhere against the people and against the law and against this place. And furthermore, he's brought Gentiles and Greeks into the temple. He's polluted the holy place. Now, most of the, these charges are false. They're no, not they're accurate. False. They're false. Paul never spoke against Moses. Correct. Paul never spoke against Jerusalem. Right. Paul speaks about how wonderful the holy city is and how Jesus got plans to come back. And he never brought an uncircumcised Greek or Gentile into the holy place. Again, it's the same thing Paul's experienced before. False charges. Yes. Men stirring up things. Well, he ran into it at Ephesus earlier, there you, go. you know, not too long before, and he's running into it again. And, you know, Christians today should not be surprised if false charges come against them. If you're going to go out and preach the good news of the gospel, somebody might say something crazy against so, you. So let's think about this. What spirit is it that would make you speak against someone who's preaching God's gospel? Be an unclean spirit. It'd right. Be the devil. Right. So, And the devil is a liar. Yes. And he's looking for a vessel and a deceiver who, who and deceiver who will take his lies and his deceit and spread them. And and what God wants to know, and I always hear this, I'll be the devil's advocate. God wants to know who be, be my man. advocate. Amen. Yeah. Right, John? I stopped saying that a long time ago. <laughs> I really, really stopped saying that. You realize some of the things you say, you're like, wow. <laughs> no, I'm sorry about that one. We say it in ignorance. We don't yeah, realize we it. Yeah. You know? Well, people but, shouldn't get discouraged. You see, Paul goes through this time and time again. The Lord Jesus went through it. The other apostles went through it. If you're going out giving the good news, hey, Christ died for our sins, and somebody comes and opposes you, don't get discouraged. Yes. Just move on. False, on. false accusers. Jesus faced it Amen. at the time of his trial. Right. 
So uh, here, verse 29, for they had seen before with him in the city Trimophius, an Ephesian, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. But Paul hadn't. He had not. Paul brought him to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And Paul said, look, stay here at the Motel 6 while I go over there with these men at the temple. But don't you come with me. Okay. (laughs) Right. And then, and here we're running into this huge uproar that's coming. Verse 30, and all the city was moved and the people ran together and they took Paul and they drew him out of the temple. And forthwith the doors were shut, and as they went about to kill him, yes, yeah, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. So this would have been the Roman chief yes. captain. That, yeah, they they always uh, one of the problems that Rome had whenever they would take a new possession of a vassal state was trying to keep control in that region. And so they would always send a centurion and they would have a a battalion there of uh, men and soldiers to keep the peace if uh, disputes broke out in the city. I don't know that they had a police force back then like, you know, we have today. So they were the the police. And so here comes a, a... an uproar in the city. And so they're sending the Roman soldiers. Now, a centurion had a hundred soldiers. Yes. Right. And verse 32, it says, who immediately, this is the chief captain. He immediately took soldiers and centurions. That's hundreds of men. Okay. Yeah. And he ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. Sure. Sure. It's (laughs) like in the old days. Now, you know, when we grew up, those of us here, if we did have a group of people doing something wrong in downtown Buffalo. And all of a sudden the sirens and the police cars, they would stop. Yep. Now today they'll fight. I mean, it's different right, They're right. more nastier today than they were back then. Yeah. And so here they are. They say, Oh, here come the, here come the cops. And right. we stop. Time to split. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> right. And then the chief captain, verse 33, he came near and he took him and he commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried one thing and some another among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. Sure. And when he came upon the stairs, so it was that he was born of the soldiers for the violence of the people. So the soldiers picked him. They picked Had to Paul pick up. him right up because the people were still, some of them still wanted to get at him and hurt him. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's some real action going on here. Verse 36, for the multitude of the people followed after crying away with him. And as Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee? Who said, Canst thou speak Greek? Art not thou that Egyptian, which before these days madest an uproar and us out into the wilderness, 4,000 men that were murderers? Okay, so he's confusing him. Again, one of the problems the Romans had is they were controlling Egypt. They were controlling Syria. They were controlling Israel. And uh, word was spreading. There, there are always troublemakers. And there was a troublemaking Egyptian that caused a problem. And they're confusing Paul with this Egyptian. I don't know why. <laughs> Hearsay. They don't know. Back then, they didn't have pictures. They didn't have cell phones. So just I heard a description. What did the Egyptian look like? Oh, he's about, you know, five foot eight. This guy's about five foot eight. Maybe this could be the same guy. Paul answers, though, and, verse yeah, 39. Verse 39, Paul, go ahead, John. But everybody, if, if you look at confusion here, this also happened later on, uh, you know, with Paul, and um, or it happened prior in the book when um, with Diana. Oh, Diana, yeah, the right. Ephesians, right. yeah, there was nobody, an emphasis. And she looked, and just like today, I mean, you, you look at the, the, these uh, Jews were from Asia, and they were saying this, he did this, he did that. They were lies, but the, the scary thing is when people believe a lie. Yeah. 
and they're and they're convicted by it. And it's you scary know? when people it's scary. start to riot. Yeah, and they start to riot because they believe what they're saying. And then and then the Roman soldiers come and they get it wrong. So so we're looking at like we're just discussing it before. Okay, from God comes the Spirit of Truth. Yes, mm-hmm. and with the Spirit of Truth, there's. Uh, there's cohesion and there's unity right now with an unclean spirit, there is error and confusion. Like you were saying, John, greatest Diana, of the Ephesians and the whole city was filled with confusion. When you get a mob together, there's confusion, but the Bible tells us God is not the author of confusion. This is not God's no, no, spirit. This no. is another spirit. And do you not see that today? I mean, I hate to get right. into politics, but are we not seeing that today? And, and and let's not even talk about what's going on in the Middle East. Let's talk about what's going on in the streets of America. Even in America. Of people yeah. that are rioting that they don't know, they, they don't have two popsicle sticks to rub together to yes. understand why this is happening. And I want to say is if they are rioting, whether, whether, whether side you're on, why are you covering your face with a mask? Yeah. yeah. Why is that? Yes. Why do you not want to be seen to stand up for your cause? And and the thing is, back in the Psalms, when David was talking about the people that know the Lord and, and uh, blessed be the Lord, uh, the Lord is my goodness. See, I'm getting my goodness from the Lord. The Lord is my deliverer. Happy is that people. Happy is that people whose God is the Lord. And when it's that way. He says in Psalm 144, verse 14, there will be no complaining in the streets. Why? Because people have God. They have peace. One of the fruit of the spirit of truth is love and joy and peace, not confusion and tumult and violence. And this is what's going on here. So, Amen. And I've met people from all different countries that yes. have come to America because they love America and they come here and they say, look, I want a good place where I can raise my family in peace and quiet, right? Where things are done decently and orderly. And if you think of Jesus, all of his examples, when he fed the 5,000, he's had them sit down in groups. Yes, it was orderly. Everything's everything's orderly. You know, even happens in a family unit. You know, I've been, I've been, you know, blessed with my relationship. And I I, I think you men have been too, from what I see, but I've had people that um, they've been in relationships, male or female, doesn't matter where there's lying, there's deceit, there's always drama, there's always, and they just know, they just, it was just a wreck. Their their home life was chaos and confusion, permeated down to the children and all. And then that significant other uh, would pass away, die, or they would, they, you know, they'd break up or something like that, they'd leave. And they found their soulmate. And there's one in particular, I know now, seven years old, took that long. And they are like, I never knew life could be this way. I go home. Yeah. And Peace I'm and relaxed. Yeah. A peaceful and home. I'm relaxed and I can't yeah. wait to, you know. Sure. And, and I, I, I can't fathom that in your home. Let, you know, and, and but, but you go, but they have that. You and know? and, and there's, there's a lot of troubled homes, a lot of, a lot troubled, of troubled families, homes. but the Bible has the answers. That's right. I mean, it really does. It's not about God's not trying to squish you down with his law. He, it's a good law. It's a holy law. He, it's true and it's orderly. But the only way you have order is when everybody respects the same rules. Yeah. Well, God did say, I mean, one of the things he wants to do with a husband and wife it, in the book of Ecclesiastes, two are better than one. It's it's better to have a husband and a wife than just one trying to go through life alone. We, we both need each other. But the threefold cord Amen. And that's when God wraps around and he told Hosea, he said, I have drawn you with cords of love. 
God wants to wrap love around that relationship and through that relationship. And that brings the peace and the harmony and the order. But here we see people with the, another spirit and there's the confusion and there's the screaming and there's the violence. And, and Paul finally addresses, he addresses the chief captain, verse 39. And Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Sicilia, a citizen of no mean city. And I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. I want to reason with them. Yeah. He says they, they've been, somebody told them the wrong thing. Somebody claimed I brought Trophimus. I didn't bring Trophimus. And somebody claimed I'm speaking against the law. I'm not speaking against the law. Give me an opportunity to for me to tell you what I'm all about. And he's going to tell them, just like he said in, the, in one chapter ago, was the 20th chapter, we're in 21. I will, I've showed you, Publicly, I'm going to testify to the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I'm going to try and tell you people. I know what your need is. You need the Lord just like I do. People need the Lord. There's Amen. a great song like that. Yes. People need the Lord. That is a good yeah. song. Yeah. And verse 40, and when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs. Here he is. He's on the stairs of the castle. Yes. He stood on the stairs and he beckoned with the hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue. They're Jews. It's saying, Jerusalem. He's yeah. speaking their language to them. Amen. And and the next chapter, chapter 22, is where he, he speaks to them. Yeah. And it says that he spoke to them in the Hebrew tongue. I circled that in my Bible. I yes. think that's interesting because... Yes. The whole New Testament was originally written in Greek. Yes. But Paul speaking in the Hebrew tongue. Why? Even though these people spoke Greek, Paul spoke Greek. Yes. These people spoke Greek. They learned Greek. They wrote in Greek. And the New Testament is, was all originally done in Greek. But yet in the synagogues and in the temple, anything with religion of the Jews, it was Hebrew. Amen. Well, the oracles were in Hebrew. Amen. I mean, the very books God gave them, Moses, uh, the writings, the prophets were in Hebrew. And he wants them to know, I'm not trying to abandon the faith that God gave to us in the scriptures of what we would call the Old Testament. The Old Testament and the New Testament go together like the left and the right hand do in, in working together. And so I want to speak to you in the language that you know, the Hebrew tongue. And he's going to give a great testimony in the 22nd chapter all the way from verse 1 through 21 it's it's a great testimony amen you can read it yeah yeah we'll jump in i just want to sure. say before we jump into that this this thing about you have to consider in your mind for a second luke is the author of the book of acts correct and luke not just from the book of luke but here in acts he's writing in greek absolutely but Paul speaking in Hebrew, Correct. so it's an inspired translation, and it's inspired by God. It's Absolutely. a perfect translation. Absolutely. But this is not the only instance in the Bible. There's no, other, there are others. You're correct. In Genesis, in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 42, verse 23, it's a story about Joseph. Yes. And Joseph spoke Egyptian. Yes. But Moses wrote the book of Genesis, and he wrote it in Hebrew. An so inspired translation. An inspired translation. So there's at least two examples. And another that I can think of is in the New Testament, just before Revelation, near the end of the book, Jude, verses 14 and 15, that was written in Greek. But what language did Enoch speak? That, uh, they I'm not it, even expecting an answer. I'm just, uh, Isaac Moses in The Linguist, uh, who is a Jewish man, and, and I have his book, uh, The Origin of, of Languages. 
and he with a number of uh, linguists in America, he's in New York University, Europe and uh, Japan have uh, searched through archaeologically and they found there appears to be a language similar to Hebrew, but it predates Hebrew because Abraham was from Eber and that's where Hebrew came from, but it predates that out of which Hebrew came and it appears to be, they called it Edenics. So that was like what they were speaking in Eden. That's uh, probably what Enoch spoke, probably. similar to Hebrew, but it wasn't Hebrew. And it's written in Greek, so another inspired translation. Yeah, written in Greek. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So you've got inspired translations there. So let's see what Paul has to say. Which which confirms for those of us reading our Bible, what was written, all Scripture is given by the inspiration, inspiration of God. And God, who can speak the various languages, can take and inspire and translate from one language to another and leave it pure and perfect and inspired for us. Amen. And because God is faithful, Amen. he's given us a good, faithful, faithful and true. Yes. Amen. Yes. So here we are, Acts chapter 22, Paul speaking from the stairway of the castle. He's addressing the crowd and he says, men, brethren, that would be the Jews, the believers and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence. And he saith. They had respect for yes. God's language of the Old Testament. Yes. I mean, because that's the language that God had been speaking. God wants us to have respect for his words. Amen. We should be silent when, well, I think there was a verse in the Bible, God's in the holy temple, let us be silent. I mean, it's time to listen when Amen. someone's speaking God's words. I, I've experienced the same thing. I've had people say, well, how can you say that? How can, because it's the Bible. Amen. And they have respect unto that. Amen. And as they should. Verse three says, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers and was zealous toward God as ye all are this day. Amen. And I persecuted this way, meaning the Christians this way, mm-hmm. unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest doth bear me witness." And all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and I went to Damascus to bring them, which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus, about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me, and I fell unto the ground. And I heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, let's stop there for just a second. This is his second telling, I guess. Acts chapter 9, he, he, that's the testimony of him yep. being saved. Yep. Here he tells it again, yep. and it's told again somewhere around chapter 26 yep. or 28. Yep. So three times you see Paul's testimony. Why would God put something three times in the Bible repetitively? It's got to be important. Our testimony is important. Amen. Uh, that That is the whole key. We were talking before about, I was at this Bible study with people who were, quote unquote Christians, but they weren't born again Christians. 
And the difference between a quote unquote Christian and a born again Christian is a born again Christian has a testimony like Paul. There was a day when they met the Lord. Here is uh, Paul meeting the Lord, seeing a light. There's a day in our life where we went from darkness unto light, where we met the Lord. Now, I met him in 1993, and it was through the light of the scriptures. Thy word is a lamp Amen. and a light unto me. And this is how I met him. And and the testimony is important, and that's really the key difference. I remember um, at a young man in our neighborhood uh, years ago, I was in my 40s. He was a 19-year-old teenager. He would come swim in our pool. And then he would talk to me, and I finally, my wife and I were able to lead him to the Lord. And after that, uh, he said, I've got some uh, friends of mine and uh, they're talking to me about religion and they were Mormon boys. Mm. And I said, well, bring them over and I'll talk with them. And they talked religion, 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 religion. And I said, boys, can you give me your testimony? And neither one had a testimony. And I said, let me give you mine. See, a born again Christian like Paul has a testimony and God puts it three times here in the New Testament, to say, look, this is important. You should know your testimony. If you don't have a testimony as to when you went from darkness to light, you went from being religious to born again, then you don't know the Lord. And the testimony is important. And a born-again Christian ought to know their testimony. John, you have one? Absolutely. Absolutely. And Mark, you a, have a, one? A bit, long, a, a bit long for the time we have remaining. But <laughs> I think well, I always say, you know, I, I always envy the Christian that, that says, I was... Born again on such and such the, a date, you know, November fourteenth, nineteen eighty six. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't. I, you know, I always joke around, but seriously, I said I think I got born again eating a meatball because but, I was. But just, you know the year. I know the year. I know yes. the week. You know the season. You yeah, know, know when the it season happened. And, yes. and the week. And I remember I was just so blown away. I was in corporate America at the time, and it slows down during the holidays, and I was so blown away by what I was learning, and I just couldn't think of anything else. Amen. I just couldn't think it was it was on my mind constantly, and I'd read this and read that, and then read books about the books, which is a mistake. And, and you had been exposed to Bible for a while. Um, I mean, you went had, only with our church. Well, uh, that which, exposes which was, you the to the Bible. Before, yeah, about <laughs> you six, had heard about six weeks, but yes, about and okay. I've been listening to CDs and Good. Well, there teachings go. and, Good. and teachings and whatnot. And but I I do remember, I do remember, and and I'm embarrassed about it. I'm in my home office at home, and um, I remember looking up and, and saying, Lord. We're, we're good, right? I mean, yeah. I'm okay. You know, I'm okay. okay. I'm yeah. all right with this, right? You know, you know I love you, right? And if you need me to get on my knees in confession, I was slithering down off my chair like a, like a, a serpent that I was to my knees, yeah. you know, and just, you know, and I said, and I just thought to myself, were you just trying to negotiate with the Lord? Yeah. We're we trying to close them yeah. on your way of thinking, <laughs> you know? You just, it, you just have it, to ask. Yeah, yeah, you, you just have to ask. Yeah, you have to ask the Lord to save you from your sins. Ask Him to be your Savior. And I did that in November of 2000. Yeah. And I got to say, I'm guilty that I'm not like Paul. I'm guilty in the fact that, think about this. Acts chapter 9, he tells the testimony. It happened. In Acts chapter 22, he's telling it to a huge crowd. Right? He has an audience of a huge crowd and he's telling his testimony. Yes. I've told my testimony to some people, but not to huge crowds, not that I can think of. And then in Acts chapter 26, he tells it before the king. Yes. Yeah. Before royalty. Yeah. And and it's. All much reading has made you mad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it's important. People need to understand that there is a way out of sin, that there is a way to get to God 
to get returned and reunited with God, to get reconciled to God. Sure. And it's called being born again. And I'm sure Paul didn't think he was a sinner. I mean, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He probably lived the, the letter of the law. And, it, it, you know, and Jesus had to take him away for, well, like, get too deep, a couple of years. They told him, no, no, no. Sure. That's just to, that's just to show you, it's a schoolmaster, as he tells us later. Yes. To show you what sin is. Yes. That didn't make you, that didn't make you guiltless. Yes. And, you know, and, and Paul, I had to die for you for that. Yes. And Paul was zealous. You know, before oh, he yeah. got saved, he was a zealous religious guy and he had pride about his the tribe he came from and who schooled him and, and Gamaliel and all this pride. All the good things he had done. Yes. Right. But I saw a statement yesterday. I read something that said, uh, pride is not a virtue. Pride is a sin. <laughs> hey, Amen. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. Right. <laughs> and so... You don't, you want to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Yes. And then he will lift you up. Yeah. Th this testimony is, um, it's, it's real important. And I remember in the old Testament, in the book of a Genesis, Jacob had a testimony where he met the Lord and it's told three times in the book of Genesis. Amen. So I've got Jacob three times in Genesis, old Testament, Paul three times in Acts in the new Testament, because it's personal. It's God per is personal. Yeah. He wants you to have a, personal witness and testimony of how it is that you came to him, met him, bowed the knee to his requirements of opening the door of your heart to his son. And Paul, this is when Paul read, well, you're, you're Jesus. You're the Lord, not, not the high priest, not Gamaliel, yep. uh, not Moses, yep. not even David. You're the Lord. And he opened his heart to Jesus. And at that point, he'll say it later, I passed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, to the kingdom of God's son. This testimony is important. And, and you say, I don't know a lot of Bible. You may not, but you know your testimony. Yeah. And you can tell that to anybody. Yeah, you can I, tell it to your friend. I wanted to tell the listener real quick, very quick. Um, that was my problem. I came from corporate America. I ran the sales department. I was the guy. I was the answer guy. Yes. I, I was good at what I did. Right. Yeah, I could take a blank piece of paper. I could get a proposal. And um, I worked hard at that. And now all of a sudden, this felt so right to me. But well, I didn't know. What do I know about? People are going to ask me, well, why are you saved? I mean, it was a real, real problem. Everything has to be prepared in yeah. my life. I have to understand it. And if the only time I ever heard a voice that was said to me, I, the water always had to be just right before I jumped in. And one time, not a literal voice, is it John? Just just jump in. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. And that's what I did. And, and, and you know, as a, I got a salesman, you. you wanted to have all the answers. You want to have all the answers. And here's what God says. There's yeah. one answer. His name is Jesus. Yeah. And as long as you have that, you've got to test There's got to be more just, to it. <laughs> there's got to be more to it. Just trust yeah. the Lord. Amen. Amen. We're out. Okay. We're out of time. Next week, we want to continue in Acts chapter 22. And we'd like you to meet Jesus too. And you know how you do it? Do like he said, search the scriptures and you'll know what and who is truth. Amen. You've been listening to What is Truth? The radio show devoted to asking the question, what is truth? Listen every weekend at this time for What is Truth? Only on WECK.